We have an anchor. The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. Today we're going to be talking about, in our message, Time is Running Out. And I brought with me an hourglass. Because an hourglass really reminds me of how quickly time passes. It's an amazing thing how fast time can get away. I think about the words of the psalmist in Psalm 89 when he said, You know how short my time is. In Psalm 89 verse 47. In verse 48, he asked the question, What man can live and not see death or not experience death? Can he save his life from the grave? And then David in Psalm 37 made this statement, I was young and now I am old. Time will get away. It goes so fast. And sometimes we forget about how quickly life passes us by. And so when I look at this hourglass, I remind myself of how fast my life is getting by me. Whether we like it or not, one day time will run out. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, we read about one of the great men of the Old Testament era a man by the name of Moses. And in chapter 34, we have a record of his death, his passing. And really, in essence, for Moses, time ran out. I want us to think for a moment or two about this chapter. We begin by talking about the observation of Moses. He had the opportunity to view the promised land. He was blessed with the privilege of seeing the promised land. A couple of things you need to remember along these lines. First of all, the land that is spoken of in the Old Testament was promised to Abraham, or rather to his descendants. You remember in Genesis chapter 12, God had called Abraham and he told him that he would make of him a great nation. He said, I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you. I will curse them that curse you. And in you shall all families or nations of the earth be blessed. In verse 7 of Genesis chapter 12, The promise is made to the descendants of Abraham that they would receive the land of Canaan. In chapter 15 of the book of Genesis, again it is identified as a land of promise. Not only was it a land of promise, but it was a land of plenty. In Numbers chapter 13, God had instructed Moses to send out 12 men to spy out or survey the land, this land of promise. And the response was, after having 
seen the land, having examined it, they said it's a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a land of plenty. Now, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 34, the text tells us that Moses, the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel, had the opportunity to view this land. Listen to what the record says, beginning in verse 1. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. Now earlier God had told him to go to the top of Pisgah, and he said, lift up your eyes toward the west, the north, the south, and the east, and behold the land. Now the text says that this land was from across the Jericho. The Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, or the Mediterranean, the south, and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. Then the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants, and I have caused you to see it with your eyes. So Moses was blessed to see this land. But now the text also tells us that God barred him, blocked him from visiting the land. Listen now to what the record says. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Why did God prohibit Moses from entering physically the promised land? You remember back in the book of Numbers in chapter 20? The children of Israel were in the wilderness of Zen. They were at Kadesh. And the text says there was no water there. The people began to murmur or complain. They began to grumble. They questioned why Moses had led them out of the land of Egypt to die in the wilderness. And so God called Moses and he said, Moses, you take your rod and Aaron and stand before the congregation. And he said, you speak to the rock and water will yield forth. The narration tells us that Moses took his rod along with Aaron and they stood before the assembly, the congregation of Israel. Moses then chided the children of Israel as rebels. And rather than speaking to the rock, he struck it two times with his rod. And the text tells us that God said, Because you did not believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. He said, you're not going to inherit, you're not going to get the opportunity to go into this land of promise. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 34, we find that Moses was blocked from going into the promised land. I think there's a great lesson there for all of us. Sometimes we think about the decisions we make. And we ought to always remember that for every action, there is a corresponding reaction. Sometimes we make decisions and those decisions are unwise. 
They're not founded upon Scripture. And we suffer the consequences. But there are some decisions, there are some things that we make decisions on in life that have great, great repercussions. When we sin, we understand that whatever a man sows, that he will also reap, according to Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. There are some decisions that you make in this life that will bring with those decisions unbelievable consequences. Now you think about Moses. From our vantage point, all he did was strike the rock two times. God said, speak to it, and he struck it. And God blocked him from going into the land of promise. And the text tells us that Moses pled with God. He said, I pray, let me cross over into this land beyond the Jordan to see those pleasant mountains and Lebanon. And you know what God said? Enough. God said, do not speak to me again about this matter. God said, no. I have no doubt that Moses wanted to go into that promised land. He wanted to be able to lead the children of Israel into that beautiful land. And God said, no. Why? Because he disobeyed him. Now you think about your life and the decisions that you make on a daily basis. When you disobey God, there are always consequences. Sometimes those consequences are irreversible, just like this. So we talk about the observation of Moses. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study, and that is the termination of Moses. You see, when you look at the Scriptures, you read about the fact that time ran out for Moses, didn't it? In other words, we talk about the brevity of life. There was no more time for the man named Moses. Listen to what is recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died. A very simple, succinct statement. Moses, as you will recall, and as you can read, was 120 years of age at death. That seems like a long time, doesn't it? And yet for this man, time ran out. And here's what you need to understand. One day your time's going to run out. One day my time will run out. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about how the outward man is perishing. But he said the inward man is being renewed day by day. A moment ago I alluded to Psalm 89. Where the psalmist in the long ago said, you know my time is short. I think about Jacob. Back in Genesis chapter 47. He stood before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? He was 130 years of age. And here's what he had to say. Few and evil have been my days. He was 130 years of age. But he said his life, the span, the duration of his time here on earth was few. What Job say? Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Life is compared to a vapor. 
that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Every minute that clicks by is a minute lost forever. You'll never get that time back. Now, the text tells us that Moses lived to 120 years of age. That's a long life by today's standards. And the psalmist said, you might live to be 70 years of age. He said, you might even live to be 80 years of age. But he said, it is accompanied by strength and sorrow. He said, it's soon cut off and what happens? We fly away. Time will get by you. You see, time ran out for Moses. And the bottom line is, time will run out for every single man. And I use that word man generically. I think about whether you're a man or a woman, you will one day experience what we call the sting of death. So in thinking about the fact that there was no more time for Moses, I want to remind you of a passage of Scripture found in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, where the writer said, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this cometh the judgment. So time will get by you. The question is, how are you using the time that God has blessed you with here on planet Earth? Are you using wisdom to direct the duration of your life here? You remember the psalmist said, Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, Redeem the time because the days are evil. You need to walk carefully, as he would say in Ephesians chapter 5. So we think about the brevity of his life. There's no more time for Moses. The text also tells us there were tears for Moses. Think about his burial, what is said. Listen, if you would, to what is recorded beginning in verse 5. Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor abated or reduced and the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days so the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended two things I want you to see here first of all Moses left a void in his death how do I know that because this man had been the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel he had been a very large piece in the puzzle in terms of bringing the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. He had received the law, the Ten Commandments. God had used him in a mighty way. So when he died, there was a void, there's no doubt. When you die, will you leave a void? At home, there'll be an empty chair, won't there? At the office, again, There'll be an empty chair, an empty stall, an empty place where you worked or labored. I remember when I was probably 20, I had gotten a job at Coca-Cola, the bottling company in Chattanooga, when I was 17. I was in high school, about to graduate. 
I started that job April the 11th, 1978. Never have forgotten that date. And there was a number of guys that worked in the loading department. We were all either in high school or college. Had the opportunity to work there for four years. And I remember in November, about 1980, one of the guys that worked with us died one Friday evening. He was 19 years of age, 19 years old. And you can just imagine how that rocked our world. The funeral service was probably Monday of the following week. And I, I will never forget that funeral service. It was a graveside service. And it was a cold, dreary November day. And we stood out under that tent, and that boy's daddy cried his eyes out. He was inconsolable. He wept. I'll never forget that. After the service, those of us who worked at Coca-Cola, those of us who loaded trucks, and we loaded them in the afternoon and evening, early evening hours, we had to go to work. And this fella drove a forklift. And at that time, I was driving a forklift loading the trucks. And I remember that night as we were loading those trucks, you could have heard a pin drop. We weren't joking. We, won't, we weren't carrying on. We weren't talking. It had left a void. And it seemed as if everywhere I turned, I saw him, this friend of mine. Death will leave a void. One day, whether you like it or not, you're going to die unless the Lord comes. And you will leave a void. That closet that you use now, where your clothes hang, those clothes won't be needed. Your tools, your crafts, whatever it may be that means so much to you, won't need them. There'll be a void. So Moses left a void in his death. But Moses was victorious in his death. How do I know that? Because in Hebrews chapter 11, he is identified as being one of the great saints of the Old Testament era. He is identified in what we call phase Hall of Fame. Now, it may be the case that you've been to a place that honors individuals that have done great things in the realm of sports. And you have been to a Hall of Fame. Maybe, it's, maybe it is a collegiate Hall of Fame. It might be a professional Hall of Fame. And there's a lot of honor and a lot of, there's a lot of honor and prestige associated with being identified with a Hall of Fame. But you know what? I'd rather be in God's Hall of Fame. I'd rather be a child of the living God and know that I have victory in death. You remember what David said in Psalm 23? He said, though, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. You remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 116, 15? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. When a child of God dies... It's a sad occasion for those of us who have been left behind. Why? Because we miss the one that's gone. There's a void. But if that, if that individual who died is a child of the living God, it's a victory. 
Why? Because that person has gone home to be with God. Paul said to depart and be with Christ is far better. He said, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. John said in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors. There are only two places you can die, either in the Lord or out of the Lord. You can die as a person of faith or as a person who has no faith. Here's what you need to understand. That choice is yours. No one can make that decision but you. What about the third point that we can take away from Deuteronomy chapter 34? I think about the reputation of Moses. And really that reputation is summed up in the fact that Moses was a servant of the Lord. Think about that for a minute. Here is a man that is identified by the sacred writer, as being a servant of God. Listen to what is said in verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab. I want to ask you a question. Are you a servant of the Lord? Are you a part of God's family? There are two things unique to Moses. Number one, he was a man of God. There is no greater honor that you can wear than to be identified as a man or woman of God. Remember when Paul wrote to Timothy? In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said, But you, O man of God, here is this young man who is an evangelist, a product of the preaching and teaching of the apostle Paul. He had been reared or schooled in Judaism by his mother and grandmother. He had been made wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And he was, he was called or identified by Paul as a man of God. How will your tombstone read? Could your family and loved ones, could they honestly pin or have etched on your tombstone, servant of the Lord, man of God, woman of God? Wouldn't you like to be remembered like that? There are a lot of things we could say about the life of Moses. And look, he was a great man. He did a lot of great things. But he was a man of God. A servant of the Lord. Now, was he perfect? Absolutely not. We just read a moment ago, went back to Numbers chapter 20. We talked about his fault, striking the rock. His forfeiture of the promised land. He was a man of God. Not just a man of God, but a messenger of God. When God called Moses, Moses was reluctant to take on this mantle of leadership. And yet, God encouraged him. In Exodus chapter 5, Moses stood before Pharaoh. And here's what he said, Thus says the Lord, let my people go. That should have resonated with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, as you know, responded by asking the question, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Here is a guy who was a man of God and a messenger of God. He was faithful in the declaration of all that God delivered unto him. So I would ask you today, are you a man or woman of God? Are you a messenger of God in the sense that you share His divine will? 
with others. So, his service in the Lord, and what about his successor in the Lord? Pick up with me, if you would, in verse 9. Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And we have this brief commentary about the man who would follow Moses. But since then there has not arisen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face, face to face. In all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, before Pharaoh, before all his servants, and in all his land, and by all that mighty power and all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Moses was a great man. And I think about having to follow in the footsteps of a guy like that. Moses had mentored Joshua, hadn't he? In other words, Joshua had been mentored he had been instructed by Moses. In the book of Exodus, he is identified as an assistant to Moses. So here's a guy that was mentored, schooled, if you please, to assume a role of leadership. Now Moses has died, and he has left some big shoes to fill, but let me tell you what, God had a man ready to step in and take his place, didn't he? Sometimes we get the feeling like we are irreplaceable. You ever felt like that? Nobody can take my place. There's nobody that can do what I do. There's nobody that has the ability that I have. Please listen very carefully. We're all replaceable. We're all expendable. When Moses died, God had a man ready to step in and assume that mantle of leadership, ASAP. Turn over to chapter 1 of the book of Joshua, just very quickly. And listen to what is recorded in Joshua chapter 1. Look at verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Had you been in the shoes of Joshua, what would have been going through your mind? This guy that has mentored me, this guy that has been a role model to me, this guy that has, been so, that has meant so much to me is gone. God said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over to this Jordan, you and all the people to the land which I'm giving to them, the children of Israel. God said, Joshua, you need to be ready to move. I want you to arise and go. We have to be training people to rise up and stand in our shoes one day, don't we? One day, one day there'll be somebody teaching your class at that's not teaching it. One day there'll be somebody preaching in this pulpit, somebody different. One day there'll be somebody different who is leading our singing. At some point in time, there'll be new elders, new deacons, new Bible class teachers. Why? Because, as we sang a moment ago, time is filled with swift transition. Your time's running out. Who are you mentoring? Who are you instructing to take your place? Who's going to rise up and do the job that you do 
right now, I would hope and pray that we are laying groundwork as the people of God for life to go on after we're long gone. I close by saying, whether you like it or not, your time's running out. Did you see how fast that sand slipped through that hourglass? That's how fast life will get by you. Are you a Christian? Once you die, you can't change your state. If you're going to become a child of the living God, you have to do it while you're alive right now. Paul said today's the day of salvation. If you're here today and you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, what would keep you from doing what they did on Pentecost? Repent, be baptized for the remission of your sins. What would keep you from doing what you know you need to do? Time's running out. Don't wait too late. I would imagine that there are people in eternity that sat right where you're sitting. They didn't make preparation. Don't be a statistic. Obey the gospel. If you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ, I would plead with you, come home. John said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.